0: Hello to all our friends joining me on this episode of the Honor Summit podcast. The Honor Summit is an organization that exists to center Asian American women and all women in the mission of God and the beautifully woven story of God. I'm your host, Julie Yang Kim. So today I have two guests with me both members of the honor summit and if you haven't noticed yet this batch of episodes has been spotlighting the really awesome women that I get to work with at the honor summit so these are my colleagues my peers, who are just super cool and I think have really important stories to share. So our first guest is Violet Benjamin. She is a mother and a pastor's wife. And I'm going to add this last detail. Uh, she is the curator of just the funniest content on Instagram. She currently resides in San Diego, California where she works as a full-time respiratory therapist and leads the women's ministry at Love of Christ Fellowship Church in San Diego. Currently she's part of our media team at the Honor Summit where she helps tell the Honor Summit story. We also have Samantha who is joining us, and she is a Korean-American living in Chicago with her family of four, which is a recent change. Congratulations, Sam. She is a daughter, a mother, and a wife. And currently, Samantha is partnering with the Honor Summit's Chicago branch and working to create deeper connections among the women there and to bring about change within the city and its many church communities. So, Violet and Sam, it is my privilege to welcome you and have this conversation with you.
1: Yay. Thank you so much, Julie. I'm Samantha and I'm here in Chicago right now. Thank you for having me, Julie.
2: It's an honor to be here with you both.
1: Awesome. I'm really excited.
0: I know we're like using all this formal conversation, like, you know, tone and whatnot, but we can just drop that and talk as friends, as colleagues and as women. Um, One thing that I want to throw out there is that all three of us are married to people outside of our race or ethnicity. Sam, um, you're actually, I'll let you all do that introduction yourselves. Personally, I am Korean American and I am married to a Chinese American man. And I guess we can tell a little bit of our stories. It's just me and my husband, no children. Sam, maybe you can introduce yourself.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I'm Samantha. My husband is Blake. Um we take on the last name Laffy. The origin we don't really know about. I we actually did a genetic test recently and he has like he's a mutt. He has like he's a white man, but he has Irish in him, a little bit of I I don't know, just everything. Children's names, we have Grayson who's 1 years old and we also have Autumn who actually is turning 3 months. In the coming week?
2: Uh, My name is Violet Benjamin. Uh, My my husband's name is Arthur Benjamin, and we have a seven year old daughter named Psalm Benjamin. So I am Samoan and Chinese, 50 50, um, and my husband is African American.
0: Great. So, as you can see from the podcast title, this podcast is featuring the stories of intermarriage, right? So both interracial marriage and also interethnic marriage and also biraciality. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to talk about this, and I'm going to get into that a little bit more later. But before we get into such heavy things, I wanted to ask, can each of you tell me how you and your partners met and fell in love? I'm sure you've gotten really good at telling that story really fast at this point. <laughs> Maybe, um, Sam, did you want to go first?
1: Yeah, so um, we've been together for six years now, which has been beautiful, and we met in school when I was about finishing up my D, and he was fi- finishing up his actuary degree, um, and it was super organic, so I don't know. I came out of many, many relationships. I wasn't looking for anything, but all I can say is that it happened supernaturally, and so I think that's the best part about our relationship.
2: Uh, so, my husband and I met at church, at the church we were going to at the time. I was newer in my faith, and I was bringing some friends from college, and they had questions about the Bible, and I, I felt like at the time I couldn't answer it. So, we went up to the info desk, and my, my husband and his friend were there, and they answered their questions. Every Sunday after that, they would say, you know, if you have any questions, you can come back. And you know, shortly, I just started having this crush on him. He was very <laughs> oblivious that I had this crush on him. But I basically, you know, pursued him in a way. I, I became his friend on Facebook. I would wait to get into service, the 7 p.m. service at the church. And I would wait till his eyes locked into mine and, you know, wave at him very oddly. Um, And I think those little things, we then had a first date. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I remember Violet, you telling me that story in person, and I just was cracking up, and it was like the cutest story. Violet mentioned that she was the one who liked her husband or at the time wasn't her husband, but now husband first. That was also me first. Sam, what about you?
1: That's really funny because um Blake doesn't have any social media. So I remember I was trying to stalk him to see what he was all about, and he's like. He told me he's like you can't stalk me, but you could stalk like my mom or my sister because they're huge like social media people. But I'm not, so I would look at his pictures through like his mom's profile. <laughs> that's
0: so funny. I that's interesting. I feel like I've only met a handful of people who in this day and age don't have social media. Yeah, uh-huh. it must be a it must be a rare gem with all that kind of. Chit chat off to the side. I want to move to our next part of the conversation just by clarifying some terms. So I'm going to continually use the term intermarriage, uh, which is the term that generally like social scientists like sociologists and anthropologists will use to talk about interracial and interethnic marriage. Interracial means two people of different races married. So uh, I think Violet and Sam, both of you are in interracial marriages more specifically. I'm personally in an inter-ethnic marriage because I'm Korean American. My husband is Chinese American. There's also the term biracial, also multiracial. And I think both of your children, both sets of children, both Sam and Violet, your children are biracial and multiracial. With that in mind, I think I'm going to start off this conversation by sharing some statistics with you. I know that that's not something that I had originally shared I would do. So statistic number one says that 21% of Asian American men marry out of their race or ethnicity as of 2017. Statistic number two is that 36% of Asian American women marry out. So again, marry out of their race or ethnicity as of 2017. And one in six newlyweds in America are married to someone of a different race or ethnicity in 2015. So one in six newlyweds I think that's referring to people who just got married within the last year. But interestingly, 46% of Asian American newlyweds born in the U.S. are married to someone of a different race or ethnicity. So I wanted to highlight just how important this topic is. Um, And what we're missing out when we don't talk about it, but also because these numbers are kind of shocking. Am I right? Is it just me?
1: (laughs) No, I agree. I think it's kind of crazy, like especially the 46 percent, because, you know, if you follow people on social media or even TikTok, you see so many interracial couples. You don't really see it's not as surprising as I guess.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. It is not as surprising, but it is also really surprising to me. At the same time right because you're like oh yeah that makes sense but holy crap it's like almost one in every two
2: no same um that is surprising to me
0: i guess all of us here are a part of the statistic. so again surprising and also not surprising at the same time
1: i think it's less surprising to me because i notice it more since i'm in one of those marriages so like if i see like a mixed couple marriage you know in public i'm like oh It's one of us. (laughs) I totally understand that. I also
0: think this statistic kind of reflects the honor summit too, because we're made up of, I think, a similar statistic. So we've already kind of established, obviously, that we are in intermarriages. We even talked about the cute story of how we met and whatnot. But I think as someone that grew up Asian American, Korean American specifically, and went through the process of marrying someone outside of my ethnicity, I know that there is, it's not always cute, right? It's not always like a fun story to share. And with that in mind, I guess my question is, was intermarriage, so interracial or interethnic marriage, like an issue for you and your families? You know, generally, were they approving? Were they disapproving? Like, what was that process like?
1: I think for me, race was never really a discussion throughout our courting process, um, but it was only ever really mentioned in the beginning because it was supposedly a big deal since I told my mom I was never going to marry a white man when I was in high school. Um, and I'll talk about that more later. And when I told her that, um, I think it was just like the end of discussion. Like We never really brought it up again.
0: Oh, so she was like, okay with you moving forward. She's like, oh, I guess like this is happening. It's fine.
1: Yeah. And I think part of that is because my parents are 1.5 gen. So they both came here when they were six or seven years old. My dad doesn't really actually speak Korean, even though he's full Korean. He doesn't understand it that well. He forgot a lot of it. Um, And so they're very Americanized to begin with. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of
0: sense. If they came at such a young age, they're almost, they could even categorically be second gen, like in yes, experience. I think
1: a lot of my friends could relate to them, speak to them openly. And a lot of that was because of the generation they grew up in.
0: Oh, okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. I see. Violet, did you want to answer that question too? I'll say skip for now. That's fine. I want to say that for me, I was surprised at how okay they were with my marrying someone from outside of my race and ethnicity. Because growing up, it was, it was always like no one but Korean people. But when it really came time for me to choose a partner, they were like, yeah, we trust your decision. Uh, we're going to let you do what you think is best. Maybe because I was also close to 30. I don't know. So I was personally very pleasantly surprised to see what my parents said. A kind of corollary follow-up question that I have is what kind of messages or ideas or even stories did you hear about intermarriage as a kid, like as you were growing up, did your parents or just people
1: around you say anything about those things? Um, my parents had a pretty conservative view of marriage in general, um, even though they're closer to second gen, I think they carried on a lot of their past traditions Um and we never really talked about marriage in general so whether it was marrying outside of your race marrying within your race we just never talked about dating was even a taboo topic like we I wasn't allowed to date and so I felt like I was banned from even asking questions about marriage (laughs) Um, but that in a lot of ways made me want it more so
2: (laughs) that's interesting that you say that Sam because very similar experience to um, with with myself is I wasn't allowed to date, like at all, no boyfriend, very strict. And and we never talked about marriage. It just wasn't something we discussed openly. But I knew as a little girl, I wanted to get married. um, And you know, just playing house with my sister and playing with our Barbies. I just, I had this fantasy like, Oh, one day when I get married, Um, but it never was, you know, talked about in our household. That is
0: fascinating. I mean, to hear both of you say that, because I feel like that was like the exact opposite for me, where I've almost felt like, not just in my family, but in my community, like in my church and in the Korean American community in LA, it was almost like I was always meant to get married and no one would stop talking about it. It was so automatically assumed that, of course, you're a girl, you have to become a wife, you have to have kids. Did
1: you also feel that pressure or is it just me? (laughs) I think my parents almost wanted to protect me from it. I think they loved the relationship that they ha- they had with their little girl and their perception of me as their little girl. They didn't want me to grow out of that, and part of that would have meant giving me to someone else.
0: I love that. <laughs> that makes me feel like my parents were like so eager to get rid of me. <laughs> like no, actually my dad was the opposite. He he was like to the end, please stay my little girl. But my mom was like it's time. <laughs> Violet, what about you?
2: No, actually, I don't think I felt the pressure to but I knew that I wanted to get married. I think um my parents' desire was just for me to find someone who was hardworking, successful, and and could take care of me. That was like their main thing.
0: Mm, sounds familiar. I think personally for me, if I really sit down and recall some of this the messages like the ideas that were communicated to me as a as a even a little girl like you have to have a husband to be happy and even this idea of a woman is only as happy as her marriage is good right so even if you have everything you want in life if your husband if you and your husband are not having like a happy marriage then you will never be happy so I think one of the things that I really had to think around and learn to navigate on my own in my own way was this idea that my happiness was very contingent on the person that I was with I want to know like for both of you what were some of the like I guess challenges and the gifts right so on opposite ends of the spectrum of marrying someone outside of your race for both of you it's outside of your race and for myself again outside of my ethnicity So some of the greatest challenges or gifts, was there ever a moment in your marriage or your parenting life, even where you were like, okay, yeah, like this is really hard, right?
1: Like, have you ever come across moments like that? You know, to be honest, when, especially in this past season, so coming out of that season, I think I cared a lot about what people thought about me. For a really long time and it's only recently especially after having kids that you learn to drop that um, and start thinking for yourself but I cared a lot about how people viewed our relationship differently because there's a lot of stigma around white men marrying or dating even Asian women and you know typically it's linked to like a fetish with women who are submissive and first of all, I am like the least submissive person you'll meet. Like Blake will tell you I'm very headstrong. So I didn't want people to think of me as like weak, but I also didn't want people thinking that Blake is only marrying me because I fit into a category. Um, and so I think the challenges really came from the perception of others. And that perception might even be like that Blake wouldn't understand me as deeply because our challenges growing up were different.
0: Oh, I see. So I mean, I think you just presented two different things then, right? How people will perceive both of you, right? Um, because of your races and the, the the setup of a Asian woman, white man. But then the second one is you saying, like, can we relate in a deep enough level because your experiences are so different? So is that the two that I'm hearing? Yeah.
1: So I guess, yeah, listing off the first one, I didn't want people thinking that we liked each other for reasons that we didn't. And that really threw me off because I wanted people to know how amazing our relationship was. Like it was like the best relationship I've ever had. Like obviously, because I married him, right. (laughs) I didn't want people to think I was settling. That was a big one. Um, And then, like you said, number two was that he wouldn't understand me as deeply. And that was hard because I felt like our relationship had even a, another layer of depth that might that people maybe within the same culture don't have because of our differences we had to learn how to work through those things i
0: see but you're saying to connect it back to what you said in the very beginning what you started with that first challenge the how people will perceive you it is not really even that much of a challenge because you're like now that you're a mother you realize what isn't isn't important and people's perceptions
1: actually kind of don't matter yeah. So now like when I see people, maybe their eyes lingering a second longer, right. than they should, instead of being like, Oh, they're, they're judging our relationship. He's, you know, that white man with that Asian woman, instead of thinking that, I don't even think I, I think twice about it as much as I used to. So that challenge doesn't even matter because right. it, it's no longer a challenge.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So it just sounds like two
0: people who actually just, fell in love and it didn't matter that you were from this race and he was from another race. It really was just like two personality chemistry going on. Like, yeah, that was a really common (laughs) sentence, but you get it. (laughs) Violet, I want to ask you the same question. I I think because we're on the topic specifically of the challenges, I, I do here want to acknowledge the fact that all three of us, even though we all fall into the same category of intermarriages, we have really different experiences because a Korean person marrying a Chinese person is different from a Korean person marrying a white person, but that's also really different from a biracial person, Chinese and Samoan marrying a black person. So Violet, I wanna present this question to you. What were some of the challenges that you faced?
2: I would say, you know, when we first got married, I would say it was the way we communicated when we had arguments. I mean, my husband is like the most calmest person on earth. And, you know, when we would have arguments, I would shut down. And I realized that um, I was shutting down and not wanting to talk because I grew up not really sharing my feelings, Um, not talking about how I felt. Even if I was angry, it was just almost as if it was just like, okay, you're wrong. And just sit down and think about what you did wrong. And then, you know, move on from it. So, uh, with my husband, he was the type of person that would just want to fix things right away, want to talk about it. And I needed to process things. So, I would definitely say it was um, the way we communicated.
1: Yeah. I feel like communication in general is just hard, even like negating the fact that, you know, you come from two different cultures. It'll always be hard no matter what. Marriage is all about communication. And I think every marriage, you have to work on it. And Blake also, I don't know, we're always also attracted to people who are opposite of us. So, you know, quiet and loud. They usually go hand in hand. And you're the loud one. Is that what you're saying? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Violet. what about you? Who's the quiet one? Who's the loud one?
2: (laughs) You know, in this case, I would say I'm the loud one. He's the quiet one. (laughs) What is up with all
0: us loud women <laughs> all three of us? Yes, I'm definitely the loud one in the marriage as well. So I think something that I grew up hearing that is coming to mind is that like you said Sam, marriage is hard regardless. Two people coming together to be in one family, to deal with problems together, to plan life together is so hard. But then to add on the additional layer of, now you come from completely different parts of the world. Maybe you even speak different languages. You have different ideas about what a marriage is supposed to be and like what good communication even is. Part of that is what makes intermarriage so challenging, right? And Violet, I wanna actually bring this next part back to you because part of this this episode is about being biracial as well. I think similar to the last episode with Lily too, and actually the previous episode with Ruth, you remind me of the fact that Asian American doesn't look a certain way, even though because of who I am, I wanna imagine it looking like like Korean American. East Asian American, whatnot, but when I talk to you, when I think about your story, when I read your stories, I'm reminded, like, wow, Asian America is so diverse, and, and I can't lo- I should not lose sight of that. So I want to ask you, you know, you grew up between like two cultures, your Chinese and Samoan. Can you tell us maybe a little bit more about that, especially as it relates to this conversation?
2: Yes. So I would say growing up Samoan and Chinese. Uh, it was pretty cool, you know, eating both culture foods. So Samoan food, then you have Chinese food. But culturally, I would say lean more towards my Samoan side um, because of my mom. And I guess the weird thing is, is that I'm only really aware that I'm not full Samoan when I'm around full Samoans. So I'm like, wait, I don't feel like... I've I've always felt like I'm in the middle. I mean even even now kind of feel like I'm in the middle of being Samoan and Chinese. I'm always in this gray area. So honestly, you know, joining the Honor Summit, it was a struggle for me um because although I am Chinese, it's like I I lean more towards, you know, my Samoan side. So joining the Honor Summit was actually a big blessing for me um to you know, be in the group and learn. It was it was neat, but it was also tough. Yeah, I work
0: with a lot of biracial students because when you know when I teach Asian American studies, a lot of the students that come through my doors are biracial, and they're like, you know, I was too black for the Filipinos, but also too Filipino for the black group, and so that in betweenness is definitely a recurring theme.
1: I kind of wanted to add on to that because I remember growing up in a Korean American church and there were people or there, there, was one individual in the church who was half white, half Korean. And I felt like he was excluded a lot of times, you know, like Violet, what you talk about, how you don't know which one you fit into more of, or even Julie, how you talk about the students in your classroom that don't fit in. I, I almost felt like people were intentionally excluding him because he was different and we perceived that his perceptions of life would be different. So he wouldn't be able to relate to us as deeply, maybe as some of the other fellow people or students.
0: I I think I remember really similar things and it, it is really sad. I think, especially as, I mean, for you, Sam, like you are raising a bi- biracial children. And so now this, this issue that you think back to is raised to like a new level. And Viley you too, SOM is three different races,
2: right? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Growing up for Miti, I remember in Korean school, like as a child, like super young, like maybe five or six years old, there was a girl, she was full Korean, but her family was from Argentina. Mm -hmm. And so she still had a little bit of this Latin. It was just us knowing that she wasn't from Korea. She wasn't from America. She was Korean American, but she was from Argentina. Like that was enough for us to treat her kind of differently. And those are some things that kind of haunt me to this day, <laughs> like me joining in with the ostracizing and, and now being in the position where, I mean, all of us, like maybe, well, for me, like potentially raising children who are going to have to go through that too. I don't know. I mean, we can come back to that. Cause I think, I think that's a really rich topic too, but I did notice that, you know, we kind of um, siloed into the greatest, you know, some challenges of marrying someone outside of our race or ethnicity, But now let's get to the more uplifting things. (laughs) What are some of the gifts that you have found in marrying the person
1: that you did? I can go first. I think the greatest gift would be the gift of acceptance and gift of change. Um, And when I say acceptance, I'm talking about Blake accepting me for who I am. Because, you know, like I mentioned before, I told my mom I was never going to marry a white man and part of that was i i felt like there were a lot of instances growing up where from the white community specifically i felt neglected or even felt like i wasn't good enough for them and a lot of that brought you know certain triggers and things that i had to live with growing up and even just determining what relationships I wanted to go into versus which ones I didn't want to. And so getting into a relationship with Blake ultimately healed a lot of those wounds in the past. And, you know, being able to change my perception and even my perceived boundaries, I think that was huge because I felt like I was, I'm now currently less hardened towards past experiences because of my husband's love and affection.
0: So you find maybe some older wounds, like healed and redeemed, like through this marriage, like looking back, right?
1: Yeah. Like, I feel like my negative encounters were very specific to a race, right? And, um, but Blake came in and he showed me that I cannot categorize everyone under one, or I cannot put everyone under one category based on their race,
2: Sam, that's, that's really just listening to you speak. That's really awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I would say the greatest gift was when we got married was the the opportunity to share just my cultural experiences with him, uh, you know, down to like the food we ate, traditional Samoan dances, um, the language. And for me, it was learning a lot about my husband and the way he was brought up his family history and of course like soul food if I could tell you a funny story uh when we when we first got married I would cook meals right and all of them would include white rice and it wasn't until like two months into our marriage he was he was like uh do you have like any gravy to go on the rice and I, I was like what do you mean like you don't eat gravy with this. Like you just eat the rice with the meat. And, and he's like, Oh, he's like, like maybe some soy sauce or something. Cause he just wasn't used to eating white rice.
0: <laughs> but I love, I love what you're talking about, Violet. Just like having someone who will appreciate your culture with you. Yes. I think that was my greatest gift too, in both giving and receiving, I think one of the moments where I realized like, oh, this is this is a beautiful thing is when actually it happens pretty regularly. When I share something, I'm really passionate about Korean history and even modern Korean society and the problems in our our society and even in Korean America, things that are like happening among us. And when I see him, not a Korean American, make room in his life and in his heart to care about what I care about, this thing that really has nothing to do with him other than me and watching him be moved by it, listen and have more questions. And like, I'm just moved. I'm like, I didn't think anyone cared about this other than other Korean people. But for him to actively reorganize his life around things that are important to me as a Korean American was really healing to know that Korean Americans have friends, right? Like Korean people have friends in the world. And similarly, I think for me watching him, every year we do this like tomb sweeping day thing, It's like the second or like some, it's on the lunar calendar, I think. But sometime in April, we go and we visit the tombs of his relatives here in America. And my my husband's family, they're transnational. So they've been going back and forth between China and, and New York specifically for like decades. So he has like so many ancestors buried here. I just love the rich, long history that he has here that I don't think Korean people have because we're such new immigrants for the most part so I think getting to share in someone else's culture um learning how to be generous with my heart and my attention and my affection is has been hard and rewarding all at the same
2: time I do want to add that part of our my Chinese culture is getting red envelopes so for Christmas birthday new year and so um you know, bringing my husband into, you know, my culture, my parents would give him red envelopes. And that was like his first time experiencing it. He's like, what is this? I'm like, oh, it's money inside. <laughs> <Free> money.
0: <laughs> so how did he feel about that? Does he enjoy
2: that? I'm assuming yeah, he does enjoy that. He does enjoy <laughs> it.
0: Yeah, I got my first red envelope when my husband and I got married, too. And I was like, I love this Chase Bank red envelope. <laughs> Like, How does Psalm like this tradition?
2: Oh, she loves it. The red envelope? Yeah. Yeah, I, I recently just started it Um, when she was in kindergarten. So last year, I gave her her first red envelope. Mm-hmm. And she asked about it a couple months later. Like, when am I going to get another one? <laughs> <laughs> That's so precious.
0: I want to kind of anchor us a little bit and also transition us. So the reason why I wanted to have this conversation here on like, you know, a Christian podcast is because, well, like for one, I think we should be able to talk about anything and everything that's relevant to Asian American Christians experiences. If it's happening in our lives, we should be talking about it. That's how I feel. But I also wanted to specifically talk about this because I think a lot of times the church, like the capital C church, but also Asian American Christian communities we're not so good at talking about race and anything that, well, I think the church in general is not really good at focusing on our differences. And I think it's because the church would rather focus on what makes us similar and ignore what makes us different sometimes, like whether it's race or like culture, even theology or like gender, whatever else, because sometimes it can feel dangerous. It can feel like division. But personally, I don't see it that way. I think the church can only really be the church when we're united in our differences, right? Because I think that's what it means that we're called into one body as like both Jews and Gentiles, you know, that's in the Bible. And so what we what happens when we avoid this topic of race is that it gets too easy to neglect people in interracial marriages and in inter-ethnic marriages and in relationships and especially people who are biracial. So we stand to lose, like a risk- involved is that we don't know what to do with people who are in situations like this, right? We don't know how to serve them. We don't know how to integrate them better. Uh, we don't also know how to love them. We also don't know when we're hurting them or offend- offending them. And I think these are lessons that we, as the church, need to learn. So, you know, like the stats that I shared in the beginning of the episode, this is the future, right? Our our marriages, um, even our friendships, like This is what America is going to continually look like. So I want to make a lot of room in our organization, in my life, and in this podcast for experiences like yours, and especially the experiences that your children will have. Because I feel like if we're not intentionally making room to hear from them, we will, without trying, neglect them and ignore them. Uh, so, with all that in mind, basically with my TED talk in mind, <laughs> I want to present this question to you. What special insights, unique perspectives about God, about the church, you know, about love and unity and reconciliation and even forgiveness do you think that interracial couples and biracial people have? So, in other words, like, what is something that you, as someone who is biracial, or someone in um, intermarriage see about God that others
1: might not see as easily. Wow, you highlighted like so many good things and I'm trying to like pick apart something you said and that's like our differences. And I think to be honest, appreciating Blake's differences has allowed me to love others better. And I think that's the beauty of my marriage specifically to me is that through him, I'm learning how to love others without judgment, more freely, without hesitation. I think in the past, I would be a little bit more hesitant to give it out. But now I think I give everyone like, I try to look at everyone with more clear perception of who they want to be perceived rather than how I want to perceive them.
0: And Blake taught, your relationship with Blake has taught you that?
1: I think so. I think that's a big part of it. To be honest, I'm pretty racist. I feel like I'm very like, Blake's called me like straight out racist in the past. And I'm like, I can't be racist. I'm Korean. I think I'm realizing how sheltered I am within what I'm comfortable with. And he's taught me how to get out of my comfort zone. I,
0: there is so much that I want to say, but I don't want to pry and you can pry. Okay. Cause <laughs> I do know that based on a previous story that you told me, so this is nothing that you said tonight, but in a previous story, you told me about Blake calling out your racism <laughs> to me, it felt like you had learned defense mechanisms. So it wasn't you being like, I'm the best, right? Korean people should rule everybody. Like, it, I don't think it was like a supremacy so much as it was a defense mechanism. Like, because I feel like you'd been hurt by people of certain races so much, you developed walls and you have these spikes that come out to protect yourself. And, it, and I wonder if that counts as the same category of someone who benefits from like systemic racism, you know, like, I want to see those two things as being different, not to discount anything that you are also saying too.
1: That's interesting that you brought that up because Blake might see it as racism, right? But you're actually bringing up something. So Blake sees that as racism, but I don't think he sees all of my past experiences. And I can, you know, brush it off and be like, yeah, I'm racist. But to be honest, I think you're right. A lot of it comes from just carrying baggage for so many years, for so many experiences. And I think racism back then, people were more accepting of being racist back then than they are now. You'll be called out, right? You'll be slain if you say anything negative. You'll be canceled. But I feel like back then it was natural. It was normal to be put down and no one could say anything against that. And um, when I tell Blake about my experiences in my past of you know the names people would call me, um, just some of the racist encounters I've had, to him, it's unbelievable. Because remember, he grew up in a small town in Iowa, where he probably had zero Asian classmates. <laughs> so racism was not something that he saw on the regular, you know, daily basis. I see. So it sounds
0: like maybe in the same way that I mean I don't want to prescribe anything to you and your your marriage but in the same way that he is teaching you how to love people better and see them for who they are and accept them for who they are I think you're probably also teaching him how to see wounds that people like you and me and Violet, we we might have that are not always so easily perceivable
1: Yeah and I think just just my husband in general that's hard for him to do because he's a very like straight arrow guy like textbooks so emotions in general are hard to read so i don't i don't know if that's like a cultural thing or just or even a guy thing um but that is something he's being taught for sure i want to toss it to you now violet
2: i would say you know i think at the end of the day underneath all of it underneath our differences our skin tone our skin color is a person who god loves and sees a person that has unique gifts and talents.
0: Kyla, that's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm kind of like you, Sam, in that I experienced so many microaggressions and I was so bombarded with these images of the hypersexual Asian woman. And I felt it being projected onto me, even since I was a young girl, right? Like I was maybe like 12 and I felt those things that, I also developed defense mechanisms against people outside of my race. Like that's something that I actively had to unlearn through college and whatnot. That connecting back to what Violet said, I don't think I knew how to show people just a, a human me. And I don't think I knew how to see someone without fear if they were outside of my race kind of like what Violet is talking about. I didn't know how to do that, actually, until I had more interracial friendships. I want to also add for myself, I think being married specifically to a Chinese American person during the pandemic made everything that was happening, especially towards Chinese Americans and Chinese people, feel so much more real. Obviously, because of the way race works, whether you're Chinese or not, Whether you're Japanese American, Filipino American, if you look just remotely Asian, you are a target, right? But there was still something very, very pointedly aggressive toward Chinese people. And I think I just felt very protective of this this community. I'm also at a church that is predominantly Korean American, but there is actually a huge, like, like a pretty big sizable chunk of Chinese Americans And had I not married Victor, I don't think I would have been keen on noticing them in the same way. I think I would have wanted to just look past it and be like, no, we're all Asian American. But I think because I'm with someone who I love and respect as a Chinese American, I want to see someone and be like, you are you and you have all these beautiful things that you're bringing with you. And I want to be in a church that really highlights you, even though you are of a smaller number makes you feel seen and known. To kind of go back to the pandemic, because I brought it up, (laughs) Uh, during the pandemic with all the very hateful and like the terrible things that were happening against Asian Americans, one of my tools for maintaining sanity was listening to biracial Asian Americans, hearing them talk about their experiences and also like, them talking to both communities, like if they're white and Chinese, talking to the white community and the Chinese community, or if they're Black and Filipino, like or Black and Korean, like talking to the Black community and the Korean community, the Filipino community, whatever else. During the pandemic, sometimes it would get really hard for me to believe that a peaceful, multiracial future was possible. Because Oh my! Like when you watch a video of someone lighting a grandma on on fire just because she's Asian American, it's hard to be hopeful. Like it was really traumatizing. But sometimes I think the reminder that I needed to remain hopeful was like watching biracial Asian Americans reach to both sides, like both groups, and literally embody wholeness and be our reconciliation.
2: You know, sometime last year. Speaking about the pandemic, um, there, in San Diego, there was older Asia, Asian women that were being targeted at the store, you know, in front of their homes, and there would be this van full of people, and they would just straight up ask for help, and then as they were asking for help or directions because they were lost, they would steal their, their jewelry. They literally grab it off, you know, the woman's neck. And when I was, hearing the news reports I was so heartbroken and so angry to hear this and they were targeting the areas that Asian women shop at um the Asian markets and when asked why they didn't go to the police or why they didn't say anything they basically said they were too embarrassed they didn't think it mattered that really hit me I I was like you know like they just feel like their voice doesn't matter. They feel like, you know, they don't have hope. They just feel like, you know, nothing's going to change. Mm-hmm. And so when you speak about the pandemic, that brought me back to that story.
0: Yeah. And it's also maybe part of their fear that no one's going to help or care.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, we
0: don't have friends on our side. I don't think a lot of Asian Americans, like especially the immigrant community, like the first gen believe that they are protected by the police. Like my family too, whenever things happen, we never reported it to the police. Mm -hmm. Also because we were undocumented and we were very afraid of (laughs) (laughs) But Part of that is because I don't feel like we feel that we have allies and supporters. So let me pivot us just a little bit here. As two mothers, right? Both of you are mothers raising young biracial children. Do you have fears or concerns for them? Really what I'm asking is like, as a mother, like, how do you pray for your children's futures? Knowing, for example, Sam, your story about the biracial person, kid who felt who was left out because they were biracial. And even you, Violet, sharing your story of never feeling like or not feeling like you belonged in either group. How do you pray for your children's futures? Like, How are you preparing for that?
1: Well, Julie, you came up with like a interesting point when you were talking about how during the pandemic, um, that those biracial voices really spoke to you during that time um and that was just reminding me of you know my children's futures to be honest like I think my fears would just be the burden that they have on their shoulder to carry maybe more than the average child where they have to kind of they have to figure out who they are identity wise beyond, just the labels that you know people are creating for them um and beyond the labels that i can help them navigate through right so we have like that white side that korean side the questions that they have for me some of them i won't be able to answer because it's something they have to go through alone so i think my fear would just be like will they be lonely but you know i also think it'll make them stronger and more brave and i also think it'll allow them to be a voice to bring unity amongst people. And to be honest, that really excites me more than anything.
2: I I always pray for my daughter to have the confidence in who she is in her identity. Um, And to be proud of who she is, you know, like Sam said, like no matter what labels, you know, people put on her or how unkind people may be that she always remains true to who she is as god's daughter when she was three when she was three uh she was in the bath and i saw her she was crying and she was she had shampoo in her hair and she was pulling her hair down and she was crying and and i said why are you crying what's happening what's going on what's wrong she looked at me and said i don't like my hair Mm -hmm. and that was like i mean the first thought in my head was like oh my gosh like she's realizing that she she looks different than me. I was bawling in tears, and I had to tell her, you know, your hair is curly, but you're beautiful just the way you are. Your skin may be a little darker. Your skin's different than mine, but you're beautiful just the way God made you, and at that time, she was going to preschool with predominantly Caucasian kids and a little bit of Asian kids, and I mean, I think she just felt very different, that she stood out, I mean, with her curly hair and everything. And so that really broke my heart to see that at three years old, she had this identity crisis, like, wait, who am I? Who do I look like? Mm. And so I find it necessary to always remind her of who she is as, you know, her identity in Christ. And Mm. it's okay to be who she is.
0: I think all your all, all our biracial children growing up need these these prayers that you two as mothers are lifting up I think your story of psalm reminds me of when I was a kid too and that time when I realized I hated my eyes do you want remember that
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I hated my eyes I hated my facial structure I was like where is my nose <laughs> where did it go all those things and then adding the extra layer of you not know, also being half black right and or just half anything else like I'm trying to imagine what it
1: takes for a three-year-old to ask or to say that you know Violet that's crazy that you brought that up it reminds me of um how we place so much judgment on how people look you know and for me, I, when Julie brought up like the eyes that brought, brought back like some traumatic like memories <laughs> and even like my desires for my kids, I was like, I hope they have big eyes like my husband, you know, versus like my small eyes. And I don't know, I, I hope that they can go beyond their looks and even identify beyond their looks and be able to find just content. I hope they find contentment in something deeper than their skin.
0: Violet, on that note, what words of encouragement do you have for someone who is biracial and maybe who is coming to seek counsel from you?
2: My biggest encouragement would be just be you. Just be who you are. Be who God made you to be. Uh, you can honor. I think there's a way to honor who you are culturally. Uh, but it's okay to be you. You know, you don't have to choose one race or the other. I have to be only Samoan. I have to be only Chinese. You can be whoever you want to be.
0: Yeah. And maybe you can make it whatever you want it to be. Also, I love that. You know, with all that we're saying about our children's generation and the future, how can organizations like the Honor Summit or even your community church? how can they better support biracial people and also people in mixed race families?
1: I think listening, people just want to be heard. Like even this conversation that we're having right now, it's opened my eyes. I didn't. Okay. First of all, Julie, I had no idea your husband was Chinese. I He looks Korean to me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's just listening and wanting to get to know people more. I think we have just this preservation mindset of like, we don't want to exert energy getting to know people because our lives are so busy. But I think the more we open up our hearts to others, we embody the church in the way that honors God. Amen. I'm with you.
2: I agree Mm -hmm. with that. Can that be my answer too? (laughs) That's a hard question. I told you we skipped the other ones. (laughs) I would say by continuing its commitment to ministering, reaching and building community for all people, uh, regardless of race and, you know, just making the gospel for everyone. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I'm going to add mine too, and I'm not going to be as nice as you both. (laughs) I'm going to say organizations and churches can better support biracial people and people of mixed race families by passing the mic inviting them to speak specifically from you know their identities and out of their identities um listening to podcast episodes like these or even having similar conversations pass the mic let them speak let them lead and i i truly believe that these kinds of voices not necessarily mine but you know biracial mixed-race family voices are going to get us to a better place in the future. I, I I fully believe that.
1: Do you think that part of that, jumping off of what you said, us doing our part means stepping out of our comfort zones of being in an exclusive church to one race and allowing ourselves to be seen, right? And joining multicultural churches, because that's hard for me too. Because when I attend Korean American churches, It's so Korean and how can we break free from that and invite people of other races into our church and have them also feel welcomed? Yeah,
0: that's a really good question. I think I'm personally of the opinion that like a mono-ethnic church, like a Korean American church is allowed to exist in its own right. And I also believe that multiracial, multi-ethnic churches are you know, they're doing God's work in a different way, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, as a Korean American, who sometimes actually oftentimes feels very overlooked in, for example, a very majority white church, I need that safe space too, where I feel like I can worship in my language and my existence doesn't need to come with an explanation. I don't have to explain who I am, why I am, right? So for that reason, I feel like monoethnic churches have every right to exist and to be that space where we can see each other and say, hey, we're whole and human too, you know, even if we're feeling um, discounted in the public world. But I do think that there is a special calling on some people to be in multiracial, multi-ethnic churches and to force those churches to say, hey, look at these people. They exist. These mixed race families are real. These biracial people are real and they have an important message for us to listen to. So I think it's a matter of calling. I don't think it's a matter of principle, like one is better than the other. I think it's a matter of individual calling. That's good.
2: That's really good, Julie. I'm mm-hmm. Just the importance of the monoethnic church. It really opens my eyes to seeing and learning more about that Um coming from a church that's multicultural i mean it was predominantly filipino and then you know it's starting you know over the years it's got more diverse and so i think i'm so used to being in a multicultural uh church that i don't see that part of the mono mono ethnic like it, that part doesn't make sense to me and now, i think that's
1: important for people of other races to hear too why these mono ethnic churches exist and why it's such a safe space for people.
0: Yes, I mean, I I feel really passionately about the mono-ethnic church. I don't don't think it should be the only expression of church. And so like you said, Violet, you are a part of a multi-racial, multi-ethnic church. And I think that is beautiful. But I also think that church down the street that only speaks in Cantonese, I think they are beautiful too. And they have every right to exist. And like I said, feel seen, whole, um belonged is belonged a word I don't know (laughs) on that note on that very unintelligent note (laughs) I want to say thank you both so much for being here
2: thank you Julie thank you Julie it was a lot of fun and also can I just add for you to take some things out that I said
1: yeah I know know? seriously (laughs) can you like (laughs) like (laughs) just erase things that don't sound intelligent (laughs)